0: If scary movies give you dread, keep you up late night in bed, here's a podcast that will help ease
1: you your mind. We'll explain the plot real nicely, then we'll talk about what's frightening, so you never have to have a spooky time. It's Ruined. Hello, welcome to Ruined. My name is Hallie, and this is a podcast we ruin a horror movie just for you. If you're a longtime listener, um, you will know that Allison Libby, my co host, is currently MIA. I mean, she's not missing. She's in New York. She's having a fabulous time with her one woman show. If you live in the tri state area, please go see it. It's called um, Oh No, a show about abortion. And it's running at the Cherry Lane Theater currently. But um, while it is very tragic for her that she can't be here, we have an excited opportunity to have some guest hosts on. So joining me this week to ruin a horror movie for you, it is the host of her podcast, Noble Blood, and the author of Anatomy, A Love Story, it's Dana Schwartz. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Of course, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. So, just to set it out, uh, where are you in terms of, like, being a horror fan, can't stand to watch it? Are you, like, some of them are okay, but for the most part, you're not leaning towards it?
2: So, there are some horror movies that I Mm -hmm. absolutely love, but there's, like, a very narrow strike zone of movies I like. Like, I like Camp. I like, Mm -hmm. like, this feels so, like, you know, so I like, like, I love Scream movies. Those are great for me. I like um, Drag Me to Hell, Mm -hmm. you know, um... But I don't like things that I think are actually scary. Like, I don't like, I've never seen The Ring and I don't want to see The Ring.
1: And it really was one of the first ones we did. And boy, it holds up. It is genuinely, especially for a PG-13 horror movie, so terrifying, terrifying to this day. So I I understand that. I
2: want to have fun. I don't want to actually be scared. And I don't want to be grossed out. Like, I don't want to watch Saw movies. That's not my jam.
1: We did um, uh, saw recently with uh, Boyfriend of the Pod, now Fiance of the Pod, Dave Schilling. And similarly, he's someone, he likes a giallo. You know what I mean? He, if, the, if the blood looks like corn syrup, yeah. Great. If it looks like someone actually is cutting off their foot with a hacksaw, not for him. Just doesn't, you know, that's not good.
2: Give me, you know, The Babadook. I can take The Babadook. I can take Hereditary. I can take, like, beautiful, beautiful, fun horror movies. I don't want to just be grossed out and, like, Ooh. actually scared. I don't want yep. nightmares.
1: Um, that makes sense. And I'm interested um what your reaction will be to this week's movie. And it is, of course, Misery, based on the Stephen King novel of the same name, and which we believe is the third Stephen King-based uh, movie we're doing, having done The Mist and Carrie. And what drew you to want to do Misery? Is it because you're an author? Was there <laughs> Did sort of reputation precede it, you know?
2: Yeah, so I know I am an author, uh, so this is truly my nightmare. Mm -hmm. The the true reason I wanted to do Misery is I started reading the book and got too scared and had to stop. Oh, okay. I was like, I see where this is going. (laughs) I don't want this. I don't like this. It's making me unhappy because it's like—it is— in the, in a in a way that I'm like oh this is right hitting me in my personal nightmare the idea yes. of being like vulnerable and incapacitated and truly at someone else's mercy where they can cause you physical pain Absolutely. is uh, horrific and scary <laughs> and I thought well there's no reason I need to finish reading
1: this book I could just pop it back on the shelf and ignore it forever. <laughs> I, I completely get that, and I also—I I feel like, you know, as a child of the 90s, I read a lot of Stephen King, probably wait for some reason, it was like that and Dave Barry. It was like everyone's house, you know, it's like those are the books.
2: Yeah, it's like you show up at a at a vacation house, and there's a exactly. copy of The Da Vinci Code, you got some Stephen <laughs> King, you got some Dave Yeah, next Barry. thing you
1: know, you've read The Stand, which is like, you know, like 3,500 <laughs> pages or something. Um, and I remember reading, um, the dead zone and I must've been 10 and I, like, I, I couldn't finish that, but I was looking back. I'm like, someone should have been like, Hey, get that out of that kid's hand. Like she doesn't need to be reading yeah. that right now. Um, but, uh, we also always have our co uh, watch the trailer. So I sent you over a kind of fun trailer for this, what the movie actually is. What were your thoughts about the misery trailer?
2: Really a great trailer, I will say. It made me want more trailers like that. I yeah. feel like now trailers take themselves so seriously. And that Ooh. was like a fun voiceover. Uh it made me think that I was correct in my uh lifelong <laughs> plan not to see this movie because Ooh. I find the trailer very scary. Ooh. I don't like being phys- I don't like being physically uncomfortable. And oh, the thought yeah. of being cold and then Forget being about sick and then being hurt <laughs> and then I know that there's something. I don't know what it is, but like, hobbling. there's a sledgehammer
1: makes a yeah. Uh, the I would say the third lead, third billing is a sledgehammer, unfortunately. So yeah, you are right to feel. They tease dread. that
2: in the trailer, and I was like, all right, yep, this is why I don't want to watch this movie. I yeah. I didn't get to
1: that part in the book. Okay, good. Yeah, it's it's, it's sort of in the third act. Uh, so uh, we always like to take a baseline scary, and we've already kind of gotten into sort of the the isolated, captive uh, idea of the movie. But my question to you is, Dana, how scary do you find the concept of obsessive fans? Like, where does that live in terms of terrifyingness?
2: I think, like, high, mm-hmm. actually. I think now, in this day and age, with, like, where fans feel this, like... In, I mean, this movie's kind of prescient, right, in that way? Yeah. Where it's like, now fans feel more ownership than ever. Like... I find that uh, very scary, and even I maybe that's like an eight for me. But what's a ten for me is being vulnerable in a bed.
1: Yes, yeah. So put those things together. I yeah, it does sort of like uh, Annie Wilkes is of course the villain in Misery, and it's sort of like if Annie Wilkes had access to the internet, she would be worse. Like there's no question because you just enter into like your own world and her world, even outside of the internet, really spooky and terrible. Um, She's
2: moderating the the uh, misery
1: uh, subreddit, <laughs> exactly. Um, and so we, let us begin. But before we do, one more question: Would you like to guess the twist in misery if you think there is a twist? Guess the twist. I think she cuts
2: off his leg. Great, her foot. I think he he. I think at some. Point. He doesn't have one of his legs or feet at the end for some
1: reason. Love it. Nope. Is that a twist? I don't know if it's a twist, but it's certainly. I I think you're reading the room in terms of what happens in this film, and I think accurate is better than twist. You know what I mean? Yeah. So let us begin. Another thing, fun thing about like any time Stephen King is writing about a writer is that it's obviously he's writing about himself. Like it's oh yeah, Paul Sheldon in the in the movie. So I he was is like
2: Paul Sheldon and Annie
1: Annie Wilkes is cocaine. Exactly, yes. All right, great. So we open on it's author Paul Sheldon. He's furiously typing on a typewriter um, in a cabin. Paul Sheldon is a great fake author name. Absolutely. Like, Paul yeah,
2: Sheldon? Yeah. That, it's, it feels weird that there isn't an author named Paul Sheldon. Did he write the Jack Reacher book? Maybe. <laughs> I would
1: say, yeah, it's very James Patterson. You know, it's like just, yeah. I need a man's name. Um, he is writing and he is almost done. And you could tell because he's victorious on the typewriter. And next to him, he has a single cigarette with a match, a champagne flute, and then a bottle of Dom Perignon on ice. And I was like, wow, I feel like I've been writing my whole adult life. I don't think anything I ever wrote has ever been done. So this guy is so confident he's writing it on typewriter and he knows when he's done to the point where he, like, ordered a bottle of champagne. And I was like, this is like what your idea as a child of what an author is, where you're like, oh my and god, an I'm inspiration. Finished. Yes, and he pulls out the last sheet and he writes on it in pencil, the end. He's done it. He lights up a cigarette. He has a champagne, and of course, he immediately gets to do his 1965 vintage Mustang and starts fucking driving down the snowiest, most chaotic, like Colorado mountains, like roads. There are no guardrails. There are. There's no plowing. And I don't know, I don't know anything about cars, but I know that this is not the kind of car that can handle this level of snow. And he is no, whipping. My down Prius it. can't handle driving in <laughs> LA when it rains. I mean, if you have a Tesla, if that freezes, you literally can't get the door open. The, you, the handle won't come out. Like these are certain cars, you should not be taking them into Colorado. Um, and of course, you already see how cocky it is. And and we always like to point out in movies like, I'll, it. Uh, Their movies are either about trauma unresolved or hubris that has to be brought low. And he he's like he's so successfully he just finished a novel, literally goes too fast around a um, curve. His car just starts flipping off the side of the mountain, falls into a ravine upside down. He's also just wearing a leather jacket. Like, he doesn't even have a proper winter coat on. And now he's Big trapped. cocaine energy. Exactly. And yeah, it's you don't see it, but you know that he also did cocaine before getting in. and yeah. But, you know, Dana, he's an arrogant man. He only knows success. And now he's going to have to go through, like, the gauntlet, you know, in order to, like, become a better person. And we flash yeah. back. Now that he's unconscious, we flash back to him meeting with his book agent, Marcia, who's played by Lauren Bacall, which is like a fun little role. And um, great, he shows her this leather valise, which he also has. Um, he, he we see him put um, his new manuscript in the valise before getting in the car. And in this flashback, he said, "You know, I found this is my first valise when I was in my twenties. I had my first book, and I was carrying it around. And I found it again. It, it felt like it was time, and he was making a big change." He has finished the, his series of books, which is, like, wildly successful. To me, it felt like very, like, Flowers in the Attic. Like, it was, like, a Victorian romance series, which is not popular now. But I'm like, I guess the 70s, 80s, like, those books were, like, you could become a millionaire. Like, people were buying those kinds of books, right? Danielle Steele has a yes. crazy life. Yeah, yeah, a lot of bodices being ripped. And so his character who that made him famous uh, is Misery Chastain which is a great name for, you know, a Victorian uh, protagonist of, of a series of books. And he finished it, and the last one, the eighth book, is, is already being published and, and sent out. And at the end, she dies. And he and Marsha's like, like, these books sent your daughter to college. You have two houses and a floor seats to the Knicks. Why did you have to kill the character? You could have left the door open, and then we could come back later and sell even more books. He's like, no. I want to write something else. Like, I didn't mean for this to become my life. It just sort of, like, was wildly popular. Which, again, feels like Stephen King being like, I didn't mean to have to write all these books, but, like, you know, I love cocaine. I also have to say it's very fun because
2: this is, like, Dana's little history corner now. I have to do this. I'm contractually obligated Please, whenever yes. I'm talking into a microphone. Sir Absolutely. Arthur Conan Doyle, the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes, hated oh, Sherlock Holmes. Okay. And he was mm-hmm. so upset that, like, that was his main thing. It was like, well— Hell, like everything I write now has to be Sherlock Holmes, and yeah. so he wrote Sherlock Holmes tumbling off a cliff to his death. I and people were so so mad though that he's like, I'm done. I'm not writing mm-hmm. Sherlock Holmes anymore. But then people were so mad and they wouldn't let him write anything else. So he like had like Sherlock Holmes like catch a branch on the way down Amazing. and come back to
1: life. Okay, that, okay <laughs> so this is a, a thing that authors do. Absolutely. And, yeah, you always know, like, now, like, they bring her back 10 years from now. It turns out they bury the wrong body she has amnesia. you would know, be I mean, yeah. like, there's always a pot. There's no reason that it has to be over. But he's like, no. And I think in the um, book version of Misery, he's writing it sort of, like, a loosely based on his own life. But it's actually, like, a detective novel. So it's sort of, like, for him, it's, like, my memoir, but also something gritty. Like, something that's not these romance movies that I've been doing for the last, you know, 12 years or whatever.
2: Internalized misogyny. Exactly. Or it's or like, you're going to be regular misogyny. It's not internalized. Right.
1: He's Paul Sheldon. <laughs> <laughs> Just regular <externalized> misogyny. <laughs> yeah, the worst yeah. guy. So, um, but, you know, there's going to be a strong woman who's about to enter his life right now. And we see um, someone in, like, a heavy winter garb pry open the car with a crowbar, physically drag Paul out of the car, and throw him over her shoulder before grabbing the crowbar and his valise. And she jams the police in her winter coat and then takes him out of there. And when Paul wakes, he's in the spare room of a house. And he, he wakes up to a woman, played by Kathy Bates, Annie Wilkes, telling him, I'm your number one fan. There's nothing to worry about. And luckily, there isn't, you know, there was this horrible blizzard. She couldn't drive him to the hospital. But luckily, she's a nurse. And so she's able to hook him up with an IV. I was like just because you're a nurse doesn't mean you have saline solution at home, but she does. Yeah. And I,
2: my mother-in-law is a nurse and I've been to her <laughs> house several times and have not seen any IV equipment around.
1: Yeah, I was going to say you accidentally keep drinking the saline solution. It's like why don't leave it in the <laughs> don't leave it in the fridge if you don't want to drink it. Yeah. Um, she tells him, you know, we're just outside Silver Creek. Um, I, I have pain medication for you. Both of your legs are broken, and your arm was badly dislocated, but I was able to pop it back in, but it's still not ah. necessarily fully functional. But don't worry. I, I've got you stabilized. I, I have you on pain meds, you know. And Paul's, like, alert, but he's in and out of consciousness because he's beat to hell. And so she tells him, he, he's like, what do you give me? She says, oh, there are um, no for your pain. And he's like, well, could you take me to a hospital? And she says, all the roads are blocked and the phones are down. So, I mean, Mm. we live out in the middle of nowhere, exactly. So, you know, as soon as things clear up, as soon as I can call an ambulance, I'll take you. But, you know, you don't worry about it. You're safe with me. So, like, days go by where Paul's, like, basically, like, just sedated. And when he wakes up, he's in pain. So she's, like, giving him pills you know, and Annie's reassuring him, like, I worked at a hospital for a long time. Like, considering what I had around the house, I think a doctor couldn't do any better. She pulls down his sheet, and his legs are, like, broken and lumpy and dead white with these dark veins. And I was like, oh. I maybe they, they probably would look that bad at a hospital, but I'm like, it's it's bad enough that Paul is like, please, as soon as I can, please take me to the hospital these aren't going to set right. You know what I mean? Like, you yeah. we need to be doing more than we what need you a have cast. in the house. So you don't have a plaster exactly. Literally, she's using like crutches, like a pair of metal crutches oh. as a splint. It's like that can't be right. So he's gone, and days start passing where he's at this house. Luckily, Marsha is the best agent possible. I don't have an agent. I my man, I have a manager. A uh, shout out to Chris. He's a great manager. I don't think he'd know if I disappeared. I mean, it would take a long time for him to be like, "Why is it? Why isn't she called me?" You know. No, my family
2: would care first (laughs) before my book agent or manager. They don't know me. Yeah,
1: So I think, like, the the only person he really has in his life are Marsha, the agent, and then his college-age daughter. And the daughter who we never meet, which I think is kind of a missed opportunity, she does become concerned. But I think she's, like, 18. So she's like, I don't know where he is. I don't know. Like, cell phones don't exist. You know, so she's turning to Marsha to be like, can you please try to track down my dad? Marsha is putting in the work. She calls Silver Creek and there's like one line because it's a small town and she gets Sheriff Buster on the phone and he's a laid back small town sheriff. And he's like, would you, talk, would you like to talk to the sheriff or the chief of police? And she's like, whichever one's not busy. I just need to talk find somebody. And, and the sheriff buster's like, I'm pretty sure they're both not busy because they're both me. I'm also a great fishing guide. And Marsha's like, a man has disappeared. And I'm also like, there was a huge blizzard. Like, you, the stuff is going on. You need to be like, I don't know why you're so relaxed. Yeah. And she yeah, says— Yeah, you should, you should be busy. Yeah, and she says, uh, the author Paul Sheldon was staying in your town. And he's like, oh, yeah, everybody knows that because he's such a star. Everyone knows whenever he's finishing a book, he will come and book a cabin at uh, the Silver Creek Lodge. And then he will just order champagne and finish his book. Everybody knows because it's like a small town and like a celebrity shows up. and she and Big she said, 80s energy. Yeah, which again, I'm sure he's like Stephen King. Like whenever he tries to go anywhere, I'm sure everyone knows. And Marcia says... I know that's what happened, but also, I called the Silver Creek Lodge, and they said that he left last Tuesday. I have not heard from him. His daughter's not heard from him. I Something has happened. And Buster's like, oh, you know how authors are. I'm sure he's, he's apparently driving from Colorado back to New York in that Mustang, which I'm like, that's already, a, like, you're going to put miles on an antique car like that? Like, I don't know why you would do that. Like, just rent a car? Also alone? Alone and also in the snow. The Buster's like, I'm sure he's just driving back. It'll be fine. But now Buster's, you know, his interest is peaked, And Deputy Virginia, who is played by Frances Sternhagen, who I always associate with being Bunny McDougal in Sex and the City. Yes! And um, who is great. And she comes in and she goes, like, oh, my God. I just God. blew out the mic with how excited <laughs> I
2: was that of a Bunny McDougal cameo.
1: She's like, oh, my God, somebody called? This is, like, the most action we've gotten in years. Like, nobody calls us because there's no crying because it's such a small, you know, a small town. And he's like, and so Buster starts to like engage with where, where is he? Where is Paul? And but he, after sort of dismissing, dismissing it to Marsha. But Buster's like, okay, so the, that blizzard was last Tuesday. That's the same day Paul Sheldon checked out of his house. We're going up the mountain and we're going to start looking for him. Back at Annie's house, she's giving Paul like a straight razor shave. And Paul says, honestly, like, I really appreciate how much you're doing for me. It feels like a miracle you even found me. I could have died out there. And Annie tells him, Paul, no, it wasn't a miracle. I was following you. Everyone knows you stay oh. at the lodge. So, I, you know, when you're in town, so some nights I would go and I would sit out there in my car and I would look at the cabin light that was on when I, and I watched you work through the window because how could I not watch no. the best writer in the world? And Paul's like, oh, wow, okay. I didn't, didn't know about that. But fortunately, because she was following him when he left the lodge, she was able to save him. And she tells him, I love all of the misery novels. I'm obsessed. I haven't read the last one yet, but I can't wait. And Paul's like, oh, cool. Are the phone lines up? And she says, oh, no, yes. I, they, they'll be up soon. You know, we live, I'm out in the middle of nowhere. But by the way, I was looking in the valise that I took from the crash site. And it looks like you have a new manuscript. Can I please read it? And Paul says, I have a very strict rule about that. People who could read my books are my agent, my editor, and anyone who saves me from freezing to death in a car wreck. And she's like, oh, Paul, you're adorable. And so she starts reading it. Meanwhile, she is like constantly giving him pain pills. He's in and out. And she asks him like, oh, so like before I start, like what's the new book about? What's the title? He's like, well, I don't really have one. So why don't you read it and you tell me? And she's like, as if I could do what you do. I, you absolute genius. Buster meanwhile goes up to Silver Creek Lodge. They're like, "Yep, Paul checked out. Everything seemed totally normal. I'm sure he's just driving back to New York." While he and Virginia are driving back down the mountain, they drive past the crash site, and he sees a broken oh. tree. And so he's like, yeah. "He must have gone off the side of the, the mountain." Unfortunately, the snow is so thick that even though they go down there, and to be fair, they're both seventy years old. Like they're, you know, like you need a couple more bodies to like go down that yeah. in there. The, the snow is so thick, the car is completely covered. So even though they did find the crash site, they don't see the car. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, you know, maybe that was from the wind or from the snow itself, like broke up, you know, broke the um, broke the tree. The next time Annie comes to feed Paul and she's sort of giving him soup, her little, her sunny countenance, which is like, she's so like, and to me, is very Midwestern, but like, she's like, so like chipper. She's so like, suddenly so dark. And in a way that yeah. even Paul's like, um, are you okay? Like, how's it going? Dana, Annie just fucking blows up in him and starts screaming about how much profanity is in the book. And she, he's like, we don't. Was, was it not? Of, the, is it different than like what was up till that point? None of these other books had profanity? Well, so the manuscript she's reading is the, the new book, the non-misery book. The Misery oh, books are the done. They are published. So the the yeah. basically the eighth one has just gone out. She hasn't read the eighth one. Guess what? She's going to get her hands on a copy and she's not going to like that either. But this is memoir, yeah. which is he's sort of like, well, you know, I used that profanity like when I was a kid. I was sort of basing it on, you know what I mean? People talk like that. And she's like, how dare you? I don't talk like that. And this is like her famous. This is why um, this is the only Stephen King movie to win an Oscar because Kathy Bates won for this role. Because she just turns on a dime, and she's like, what do you think I say when I go to the feed store in town? Oh, now, Wally, give me a bag of that effing pig feed and 10 pounds of that bitchly cow corn. And it's like screaming, and as she does, she spills the soup all over him. And Paul literally can't Ah, move. And she's watching it, and then suddenly, Amy looks down and just snaps back, and she's like, I'm so sorry. You just must hate me right now. But this is the first time Paul has seen the mask slip. So now Paul yeah. knows there's this volatile anger, anger, and she tells him before she leaves, "I love you, Paul. I mean, I love your mind, your creativity. That's that's all I meant." But Paul, of course, is like, "Okay, but are the phones up? Are you know I mean, like, what do we? How, what can I do to sort of speed things along? Now that I know the woman who's taking care of me, perhaps there's something going on, you know?" Yeah, she's mentally unstable. <laughs> um, unfortunately, the next day. Annie bursts into Paul's um, room. And he, she says, I went to the store and I bought the last of the Misery series, Misery's Child. They had, she's like, oh my God, I'm going to read them today. And Paul's first response, as yours is probably is, so the roads are open. Okay, so you yeah. went to town. And she's like, oh no, just the one to town. But that's it. But I don't worry, I called the hospital and I talked to the head orthopedic surgeon. And he says, if there's no infection, you'll be totally fine. And they'll send an ambulance when the roads to the hospital are clear. Paul's. I don't says, believe her. And well, Paul's saying, okay, so you talked to him on the phone, the phones are working. And she yeah. and Annie, of course, is like, um, mine's mine's not, but the one in town is. So um, I called the agent of yours and I told her that you're what's going on. And 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 he's like, well, you know, I I, I want to actually talk to my daughter. I need to figure out a way to like, you know, get in contact with her. You know, and Annie starts like going on about Misery shout, Paul's like, it's my daughter's birthday this week. Like, I, I need to reassure her I'm alive. And she said, don't worry, we'll figure it out tomorrow. Unfortunately, she starts to read the book, and every time she gets to a certain, like, 75 pages, she bursts back in. She's like, this is more than perfect. This is divine. This is incredible. Also, she brings a pig into the house, and the pig's name, is her pet pig, is Misery. And the pig (laughs) runs around squealing, and Paul's like, okay, all right. You know, like, I'm trying to stay calm, but now there's, like, a pig in my room. And Annie is racing through the book. She's on page 300. She's like, there are only two divine things, the Sistine Chapel and this book. And Paul's like, oh, boy, well, um, I don't know if you're really going to like the ending of it. And Annie tells Paul, you know, when my husband left me, I thought I I was going to go crazy. But I dove into work at the hospital, and I did a lot of reading. And that's when I found misery, and that really, you know, helped me get through it. And, you know, Paul's literally peeing into, like, a big jug of urine and gives it to her. And Annie's like, you know, I'm not saying I'm against marriage entirely, but it would take a real special guy to make me walk down the aisle again. And Paul's like, okay. She runs out to read the last two chapters. You know, Paul drifts off, again, on a steady stream of painkillers. And then he hears the door open in the middle of the night, and Annie walks in. And she screams at him, you murdered her, you dirty bird. Misery Chastain can't be dead. And she grabs the bed frame, which is kind of like, it's just like a light, like a, like a metal frame. And just starts slamming it up and down. So his legs, or at least Paul's screaming in pain. Ah. It's like, you murdered her. She can't be dead. And he's like, no, it's it, she didn't, it, she wasn't murdered. She died during childbirth. That's very common in the 1870s, like, You know, like, her spirit lives on in her child. That's the point of the ending. Try to explain it. And she picks up a side table and just fucking smashes it against the wall, screaming. And Uh. she said to him, I thought you were good, Paul, but you're just another lying old dirty birdie. And she goes to storm out of the room, Dana, and she says to him, forget about anyone coming for you because I didn't call them. I didn't call your agent I didn't tell the hospital. So no one knows you're here. I know. And if anything happens to me, if I die, you'll die out here. It's like that's she's already thinking eight steps ahead. Like, I'm keeping you here. You're going to be mad. But if you do something to me, you will fucking die because you, literally you would have to drag yourself in through the snow up a mountain to get out of here and you can't. And then she drives off angrily into the night.
2: Oh, that's see, this is what's scary to me. What's scary to me is like there's no camp horror to this. Like, this, there's no. no fun to this. This is literally misery. Like, there yes. is no fun. This is scary.
1: Right. There's no, like, there are, like, some moments later on where, like, he tries to make jokes in order to lighten the mood. But even that, it's, like, the joke, like, the jokes you make when you feel uncomfortable because you could feel, like, all the air getting sucked out of the room. Yeah. Paul, yeah. now that she's gone, Paul's like, fuck, okay, I got to get out of here. I got to figure something out. I'm going to go, essentially, find her phone. Because I I know she, she has one and it works because she's lied of to course. me about yeah. stuff. He gets out of bed and he's dragging himself, howling in pain, the door to his room is locked. He cannot escape. Oh, of course. Meanwhile, Buster is on the phone with Marsha again, the best agent in the game, calling, being like, Paul has not arrived back in New York. It's been a week. You know, it's been over a week. And Buster is like, you know, we have the state um, police working on it, and we have the, I've already called the FBI and they're sending somebody out. We're gonna find him. Good. We also see in the newspaper it says, "Where is Paul Sheldon?" Similarly, if Stephen King were to go missing, you it would be front page news. Like people would be trying yeah. to find him in the snow. And if a best selling
2: author disappeared yeah. in an accident, but we haven't found a body or a car,
1: exactly. Yeah. Um, and Virginia gets on the phone. She's like, "I called. There are no charges on Paul Sheldon's credit cards after after he was at the lodge, and that would make no sense because if he's driving back to New York, he has to buy gas." And also, uh, it's in the paper, so if he was alive, he would call us. Like, he, again, he's famous. News of his disappearance would have gotten back to him if he was alive and able to. In the yeah. morning, Annie finds Paul on the ground and helps him back into bed, and she's so nice. Again, like, lulling him into, a, like, a, a sense of, like, false, you know, comfort. But he's yeah. screaming because he's in so much pain, and Annie tells Paul, I have a surprise for you. And Paul's like, could I have a snack before the surprise? Because she hasn't eaten. And she says, you know. Oh, God. And he says, I'll admit my thinking can be a little muddy. That's why I couldn't remember everything that they were asking me when I was on the witness stand in Denver. But I asked God, and God told me that he delivered you to me so that I could show you the way. And with that, she wheels in a barbecue grill. She takes Paul's new manuscript and douses it in lighter fluid. And uh, Paul's like, when I said a snack, I— I didn't mean something grilled. I meant, like, cheese and crackers. And Annie says, you must rid the world of this filth. And she gives him a match to burn his book. And Paul says— His new manuscript, the memoir. And Paul's like, well, you know, I already sent um, a copy to my agent. So, like, even if I were to burn it, like, uh, she already has it. Like, I mailed her a copy. And Annie says, I know that, that you would have no other copies because I saw an interview uh, on Merv Griffin where you said that you only write one copy and then you drive it to New York to yourself out of superstition, which is true. We know that there's no other copy. Oh, no. Dana, I have to now ask you, at this point of the film, what would you do?
0: What would you do?
1: This
2: is also my nightmare as a writer. If I, like, work really hard on a manuscript and someone is making me destroy it, I... Uh, I don't know. This is why I hate the thought of this movie is because it feels too realistic and too scary.
1: (laughs) That's, like, truly my nightmare. (laughs) Yeah, and I feel like it's, like, you have to burn it. There's no other option. But also... Yeah, you have... I mean, your life is clearly at risk with this
2: lady. I think what I would do, honestly, like, if I had to, is just do exactly what this woman wants to Mm -hmm. go free. Like, to try to... I would not challenge her. I would play her little game and try to get free. Exactly. And, and it, it, that's what he does.
0: Price drop. Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions.
1: Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate?
0: Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers.
2: Hey, Brian, those are really good questions.
0: They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX
2: agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated.
1: It, you know, miserable, but he decides to do it. And the reason he does it is he sort of hesitates, you know, and, and he starts casually spraying the bedclothes with lighter fluid. Just, like, gesturing, like, help me help you. As long as this exists, you'll never be free. So let's just light the match, Paul. And, of course, he's thinking, great, she's going to fucking light me on fire. He burns his manuscript on the grill, and it goes up in a ball of flames. And outside, they hear a helicopter. It's Buster and, like, the state police pilot. But, you know, they fly over. He's like, oh, that's the Wilkes Farm. There's really only this and one other farm out here. But they don't see Paul's car, and they don't see any evidence, like, that he would be there. So they just yeah. fly on, and Annie no. gives them his painkillers and then leaves Paul to just cry after over all the work that he did.
2: No. But instead
1: of taking taking the pain pills, he hides them under his mattress, and then yeah. later, because she gives him pretty much with every meal, she, he, the second you know he has a second pair of pain pills, he uses his fork when Annie leaves the room to tear a hole in the lining of the mattress and then starts hiding his pain pills in there because oh, Paul that's has good. a plan. Very clever, yeah. In the morning, Annie is, like, again, friendly, excited. She takes someone a little constitutional to the other side of the room in a wheelchair. She gives him an electric razor. It's like a reward for burning his book. And he says, if I had known this would be the reward, I would have burned all my books. And Annie's like, oh, you kidder. Like, she's having the time of her life. Like, she loves having someone there. She brings in a folding table and a typewriter and paper. And she tells Paul, you're going to write a new novel, Misery's Return, which will be the ninth— Book where misery is brought back to life and you're going to dedicate it to me. And Paul's Ugh. like, you know, um, oh, the only problem with that is that you got me this printer, this uh paper, but because it's like the, you got it because you thought it was like the nicest kind. It actually smudges yeah. terribly. So he shows her, oh, yeah. you, when you type in, it smudges. And he's like, could you please go to town again and get different paper? And of course, she flips out and she's a smile on her face like, do you need anything else? Any other crucial necessities I can fetch you? I do everything Ugh. for you. I'll get your paper, but you better start showing me some appreciation, Mr. Man. And she storms mm-hmm. off and she drives into town. And the reason Paul asked for the new paper is he found a bobby pin on the ground. And he's able oh. to bend it and use it to pick the lock on the door. So he escapes mm-hmm. into the house. Unfortunately, the front door is locked from the the outside. So he cannot open the door and he can't, it's not that kind of lock. It's like a dead ball from the outside. He makes his way, furiously looking for a phone. He finds her phone. It's just like the shell of a phone. There's nothing inside. Uh, Yeah. And as he's scooting through in his wheelchair, he bumps into a table covered in like little figurines and he knocks over a penguin. But he catches it right before it shatters on the ground. And he's able to put it back up. But she's going to know. She's going to know. Exactly. And so he makes his way to the back door, which looks like a regular back door. He's like, maybe she didn't lock it. And so, But he, he can't fit his wheelchair through the doorway. So he gets out. He's crawling across the floor to the back door. Just as he realizes the back door is locked too and he can't get it open, he hears Annie's car coming back. So he has to frantically mm-hmm. crawl back to his chair, you know, close all the doors and relock his own door from the inside just as she's coming up the stairs with more printer paper <laughs> He also managed to get his hand on a full pill pack of the Novrail um, no pills, and no, it's kind man. of like just as she's walking in his room, she realizes that it's sort of jutting out of the top of his sweatpants, and she walks in. She's like, How, "Why are you all sweaty? Like, what, what's going on?" And he's like, "Please give me my pain more pain medication." So she he she leaves with enough time. He's able to hide the pain pills. And she says, let's get you resting. My genius needs to rest before he writes and gives him a little pad of paper so he doesn't even have to get up if he wants to. He can just write there. And she tells yeah. Paul, you know, I think the reason I'm not more popular is because of my temper. You must just hate me. And Paul has to say, like, well, you know, we all need to, need to let off steam at some point. Dana, Buster, and the helicopter pilot finally spot the tires of Paul's car. So as Great. the snow sort of starts to melt, they find the car but, of course, the state police are like, he must have crawled out of the car, and he's dead. So they're kind of like, this is a wrap. We find his empty car. He um, is dead, and we're not going to find him until, like, there's the full spring frost. Not Buster. Buster <laughs> takes Virginia and says, look at this fucking um, the door. Somebody pried it open. And Virginia's like, okay, so you think he might not be dead. And Buster's like, well, he might be dead, but I don't think it's the way they said, because he didn't get out of the yep. car himself. And if he didn't get out of the car himself... Who has him? Buster, thank you. Again, Buster, better sheriff than you think when you're introduced to him. Yeah, that's good thinking. I appreciate that. And also, yeah, Marsha, best agent. Buster, one of the best sheriffs we've seen in a horror movie. Because there's a lot of, yeah, a lot of messing around, not putting things together. That night, Paul makes an envelope out of a piece of paper and then slowly fills it with the um, powder inside the pain pills. They're like little uh, capsules. So yeah. he's, he's stealing, he's sort of aggregating all of the powder. Smart. And he comes in and reads his sort of like his first pages that he started on Misery's child. She hates it. She's like, it's cheap. It involves an experimental blood transfusion they wouldn't have had back then. Misery was already buried in the ground. So that's where Paul has to start. So she throws away his pages. He tries again. She loves it.
0: When Ian realized that the reason they'd buried Misery alive was because the beasting had put her in that temporary coma.
1: And due to great. that, they were able to realize, oh, she's a great-great-granddaughter of this lord and lady. Turns out she has nobility, which Annie's like, this is exciting. This is incredible. This is so romantic. She's Now she's Misery has to choose sort of the point of the book between Ian and Widthorpe. And she's like, I'm going to play my records. I'm going to fill this house with romance. I'm going to put on Liberace. And Paul, because he uh, knows how to play this, he says, you know, Annie, I, I agree. I'm so excited. Would you want to have dinner with me tonight? And Annie's like, um, of course. I, that's so crazy you're asking me. Like, I would absolutely love that. Yes. So he, of course, is going to put the pain medication in her drink or food. I'm
2: I'm happy with that Paul's doing this. This feels smart. Usually in horror yes. movies, you're like, you're doing something dumb, but this actually feels like a smart plan.
1: He is, yeah, he, there has been, not that he's not sobbing alone. He is, like, whenever she leaves, he starts crying. But there's not a lot of screaming or pleading or begging. And I think that that's, uh, he's reading this correctly because um, she doesn't give a shit. Like, that won't work with yeah. her. He has to be ingratiating. You can't negotiate with crazy. Yeah. You have to play along, like maybe you're falling in love with her. Oh, back at the police yeah. station, Buster and Virginia buy all of Paul Sheldon's misery books because Buster is like, I want to. I we found nothing else. The state police have already said like it's kind of a wrap. I want to know about like what kind of person he was. What was he into? Like, is this like, you know, did he run off? Like, you know, me like, what happened? And this is the only way that he could figure out potentially some clues. And he really sparks to a particular line in one of the books that says, there is a justice higher than that of man. I will be judged by him. And he's like, oh, what a great line. This is a great, this guy is a great writer. That night, Annie, she does her hair. She makes meatloaf. It's delicious. And Paul says, let's have a toast to misery. And he pours in both a glass of red wine. And he says, you know, um, do you have any candles? I really want to set the moon. And she's like, oh my God, this is so crazy that you're like asking me out. Yes. And she goes to get candles and he dumps the powder in her wine. Unfortunately, she comes back and just as they're about to toast, <gasps> she knocks over the candle. And when she goes to grab the candle, she dumps over the wine. So, these weeks, or days or potentially weeks <sighs> of, of aggregating the pain pills, it's gone. And, and so, of being in pain the whole time. Exactly, sweating, in terrible pain. He pours it on the glass and they toast to misery. But luckily, Paul just fucking hits his stride now because now he's like the only way I can get out of here is I'm gonna finish this book and like convince her like we have to get this to the world. You're you were right. You are like we're in love or whatever. Like convince her that this is a great idea and he's on board. So he's just fucking yeah. pounding the you know the typewriter. Weeks are passing. We are literally seeing snow. We are seeing rain. We see him melt. Like he's been here a long time, and he's yeah. doing um, like uh, exercises with the typewriter to get stronger. He still can't walk but his legs are healing and he's sort of like doing exercises in his room. We see the winter is ending because there's a rainstorm sweeping in. Annie walks in and she looks hor- like dead in the face. And she sort of throws his pills down on the table and she's like, here are your pills. And Paul's like, how, what's wrong, Annie? And Annie says, the rain gives you the blues. I also realize that I'm in love with you. Not just you as a writer, but I love all of you. And I know eventually you're gonna to want to leave. You'll never know the fear of losing someone like you if you're someone like me. And Paul's like, you're not gonna lose me. I actually love it here. I'm being very productive. Your food's great. Like, I this is cool and I'm definitely on board. And Annie says, good That's for, very good for Paul. She says, That's very kind of you, but I bet it's not altogether true, Paul. And the book's almost done. And then she reaches in her robe pocket, Dana, and she pulls out a handgun and she tells him, I have this gun. Sometimes I think about using it. I better go now or I might put bullets in it. And as Paul watches, he sees Annie in her robe get in her car and drive off into the storm. Dana, at this point in the movie, we are headed into the third act. Who will survive misery?
0: Who will survive?
1: I don't
2: think Annie will survive. Okay, and great. also in a Chekhov's gun rule, I mean, we have a loaded, an almost, a near loaded gun. Yes. It's going to go off. Was she threatening to use it on her or on him?
1: Now, it's, it's sort of unclear. I, it's, when I hear her, like her intonation, I, to me, it felt like I'm going to do it to myself, which I yeah. guess to me is still a problem for Paul because he still is not able to leave and he's still locked in the house.
0: But yeah.
1: I, I think, you know, Paul's sort of like, oh, either way, it's not going to be good. If use it on herself, use it on me, use it on both of us. I, you know, I don't want it. But yeah, when, yeah, when it's I not hear good. it, it feels more like she's depressed and she's going to use it on
0: herself. We're starting a movement with Lazy Boy. Well, technically, it's more of a don't movement. We work full-time and parent full-time. Our feet will be in the upright position and our podcast will be listened to fully reclined. Now that we've completely checked off our to-do list, we'll be checking off our to-don't list until further notice. We, the lazy, are taking back lazy, all from the comfort of our Lazy Boy furniture. Lazy Boy, long live the lazy. Price drop, time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last.
1: Fortunately, she has then left the um, home, which is great, so that he's able to pick his way out of his room again. And he goes to the kitchen, he grabs a butcher knife. And he slides it into his sling. So now he has a weapon in case, you know, things get out of hand with Annie and the gun. And when If Annie gets her gun, then he'll, he'll be prepared. He also Bart. finds her scrapbook. And he starts looking through it. And we see, first is like childhood photos. Dana, here's some headlines we see in the latter part of the scrapbook. Local investment banker. Well, wait, is it... Woman escape from insane asylum? It's, I mean, pretty much. It's actually, I think, worse. Local investment banker, uh, Carl Wilkes, plunges to death. On the next page, top nursing student falls to her death. Wilkes named head of maternity ward. And then, unfortunately, baby Lucy dies after five-week struggle. Second newborn death. Nurse question. Infant deaths return to the hospital's nursery ward. And in that article, they zoom in on it. It says, Head Maternity Nurse Annie Wilkes found the body of, bodies of three infants, all apparent victims of suffocation. And then finally, what? Mat- maternity Nurse Behind Bars, Dragon Lady arrested for recent baby deaths. So I think we're to think that she is sort of, you know, one of these. Unfortunately, it's kind of a, a, a bra- not a brand, a, a kind of serial killer, the sort of the medical yeah. serial killer. And that she was eventually put on trial but was not actually sent to prison. So she was arrested. Yeah. Sh- the fact she's collecting these sure doesn't look like she's innocent. But she was eventually not prosecuted. Or she was not yeah. successfully prosecuted. But this, again, to Paul's point, is like, okay, so she seems like she killed her dad, maybe. It sure seems like she killed, like, the her nursing rival. And then she's killed what seems like at least five children.
2: Yeah, so, she's a mass,
1: I would say a mass murderer. Yes, yeah, but full serial killer at this point. So he gets back in his room, locks the door, and he gets into bed, and he practices pulling the butcher knife out of his sling. But Annie gets back home, she goes to sleep, and she doesn't come to his room. So, unfortunately, Paul foolishly thinks. He says out loud, see you in the morning, and then he hides the knife under his mattress. When Paul wakes up, he, Annie is standing over him in the middle of the night, and she jabs him with a sedative. He wakes up hours later. And I think you know what moment we're headed towards here. She has strapped him to the bed so he cannot escape. And she says, just like you called, Dana, you've been out of your room. And I know because my penguin always faces due south. She finally clocked the penguin. And she also was like, also, I knew that you had to be getting out of here. Like, I, I figured it out. I, I lost the poppy pin. You know, like, I, my scrapbook was moved. And she tells him, Paul, do you know about the early days at the Kimberly Diamond Mines? Do you know what they did to the native workers who stole diamonds? And he's like, ah, no, but please don't do whatever it is. She's like, "It's, yeah. it, it's. they could still work, but they couldn't walk. It's called hobbling. And she literally reaches down next to the bed, pulls out a sledgeham, sledgehammer, and re-breaks his legs in the most brutal way possible. And she's he's screaming and sobbing, and she says in this like breathy like I can't believe you're here. She says, "God, I love you." And then she leaves. Oh, the room. it's so scary! It's so it. awful. Fortunately, Buster is still in the case, and he sees Annie Wilkes arriving. She, she's someone cut her off, and she's screaming at someone outside the convenience store. And he's like, huh, oh yeah, that Wilkes woman who got accused of all those baby murders. Huh, she's, maybe I should look into her. He goes to the local yeah. public library, as you have to do to do your murder research, finds oh. all the information about it. But more than that, Dana, there's an like a, a quote that she gave the press, basically when she was like, the charges were dropped. And she tells yeah. the press, there is a justice higher than that of man. I will be judged by him. The exact line lifted from the misery book that that Buster had liked. Uh. So he's like, she is a misery super fan. So now works. things he got are it. all coming together. Annie goes home and Buster goes in to check uh, with a convenience store guy. And he's, like—because it's, like, the convenience store, but it's also the bookstore, and it's also, like, the video rental place because the town's yeah, so it's small. it's a tiny town. I gotcha. And he's, like, his—you know, has Annie Wilkes been in here? Like, what has she been buying? He's, like, oh, just regular pig food and, you know, um, you know, Sloppy Joe mix. And uh, she's been um, buying a lot of typewriter paper. I don't know if that's weird, <sighs> but she's been buying, like, reams of it all of a sudden. And Buster's like, that bitch. So he's driving. So Annie's on her way home, and then Buster's finally on the case. Unfortunately, Buster makes a terrible mistake, uh, which you see a lot in horror movies, is he goes alone. If it, No one should go be anywhere alone, let alone a horror movie, but he sets out alone to go confront potentially yeah. a serial killer who has a he's man He's about in to be house. murdered. Yeah. He's about to be murdered. You know, and he's, he's putting it all together, but he's not putting it together. I should at least bring my wife, but then maybe she would have also, you know. So... Buster's driving to Annie's house and Paul sees through down Annie's long driveway that Annie has arrived. And then uh, Buster's right behind her and Annie runs in and stabs Paul with a sedative before he could stop her and drags him into the basement. But right before Buster knocks on the door and he's like, do you know about Paul Sheldon? And she's like, well, let's see. He was an only child. He was a mediocre student. He's like, no, no, I don't mean that. She said, Come on yeah. in. She's like, Yeah, I heard about that horrible accident. They think he's dead. But you know, I actually had a conversation with God, and God told me that I should write a new misery book. So basically, what it sounds like she's planning is she's gonna pass off this misery book as if she wrote it and then just keep Paul to herself writing these books. But Buster's not stupid. Wild. I know. So we snooped I mean- around. A not a
2: good plan. That's not—how are plan. you going
1: to get it published? He has the IP. All right, but keep going. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean, there's a real—there's um, there's a shelf life to this, this plan, absolutely. We're headed towards it. And, you know, Buster does some stooping, but he doesn't see anything because Paul is unconscious in the basement. And Buster's yeah. like, okay, great. Um, thanks for having me stop in. And as soon as he gets to the porch, he hears a crash. And it's Paul waking up and, like, knocking over the grill. And he runs back in asking, like, oh, Miss Wilkes, did you fall down? Are you Okay. But he hears Paul call from the basement, and he opens the door, and he says, Mr. Sheldon, Dana, unfortunately at that moment, a shotgun blast just rips through his chest. Annie yep. has killed Buster with a shotgun. Exactly. By the hero of the film oh. almost could have helped. Too good, too pure for this world. Exactly. Annie tells Paul, I have known for some time that we must be together forever, but our time together on Earth is drawing to a close. And she takes out a handgun and a syringe. So basically, she's gonna kill both of them. And Paul mm-hmm. says, You're absolutely right. We are in love. We do need to die. We will be together forever in heaven, but I need to finish the book. I yeah. just need I just need it until dawn. And then I will go along with your awesome plan, which is to kill both of us. And when yeah. Annie says, All right, I'll put cookies some food, Paul sort of keysters a container of lighter container of lighter fluid, like down his sweatpants. And he's yeah. up all night typing. And he said, I'm almost done, so I need my things, my cigarette with a match, and Dom Perignon. Luckily, she has some, or the convenience store has some. Like, she just has it. And it's like, okay, well, I, you know. And
2: luckily, she knows. Like, she's read enough interviews. She knows exactly. that he's not lying. That's what he does every time he, he
1: reads the book, finishes exactly. the book. And he's typing and, she, you know, she's a buzz, and she's reading all the pages as he finishes it. And she's like, who will she pick? Will it be Ian or will it be Wilthorne? Like, uh, you know, like there's gonna be a duel and, and you're also, you know, like, you're gonna find out who Misery's real father is. And she loads her gun and puts in her robe and brings him her things. But Paul says, you know, there's gonna be one thing we do need that's different. We're gonna need two glasses, Annie. And she goes, oh my God, you're so amazing. Let me get a second glass. And Paul... Takes the entire manuscript as soon as she turns her back, throws it on the ground, douses it in lighter fluid, and then takes sort of a crumpled up piece of paper and lets it alight. She comes back in and she's like, What are you doing? He says, You know, for all these years, you know, no one knew who Miser's real dad was, or if they'll ever be reunited, or you know, she came from nobility, or whether she'll end up with Ian, Ian or Winthorn. It's all right here. And she says, Paul, don't do it. He says, Why not? <sighs> I learned it from you. And he drops the flaming page on the manuscript, which just goes up in a ball of flames. And Annie <sighs> lunges on it to try to put it out. And he, Paul picks up the typewriter and smashes her in the back of the head. Unfortunately, Genius. Annie is built like a brick house. And I really aspire to this level of feminine strength. Like, she picks up his yeah. deadweight body out of that car accident. Like, she's hauling around like, like pigs. Like, she has this brute strength that I really like in, like, a female villain, you know? So yeah. she's not down for the count. Like she is they are brawling. She's strangling him. He throws her to the ground. Then he's out of his wheelchair. He's jamming ashes into her mouth to try to get him, get her off of him. And she's going absolutely wild. She gets off two shots, but luckily she only had two bolts in the gun. So she shoots him once in the shoulder, and then the second shot goes wild. Paul trips her and Annie falls, smashing her head against the typewriter. She's out cold. Oh. Yeah. So Paul crawls to the door, and he almost makes it, but before he can, Annie comes back to life, Michael Myers-style, and fucking lunges on him. And Paul reaches out. He grabs a doorstop that's shaped like a pig, and he smashes it in her face, killing her. We cut to 18 months later. Paul, he's now walking with a cane. He's going to meet his agent, Marsha, for a lunch at the fancy restaurant. I hope he's calling. I hope he's one paying, because Marsha deserves it. Marsha was on top of it. I know, honestly, thank God for Marcia. And she hands him, it was like the first printed copy of his new book, The Higher Education of J. Philip Stone. And I'm like, I don't know if that, that, that is a title, but she's like, All right. Time and Newsweek, it's going to be a rave. The Times review is a love letter. And for the first time, I think you could actually be up for some prizes. And Paul's like, you know, I don't want to give Annie Wilkes any credit, but it did kind of make me a better writer. Like, I feel like it changed me in like a positive way, sort of. And Marsha says, yeah. "Well, you know, I, I have to ask, her or else I'll be like kicked out of the agent u- agents union, which I'm like a sad thing." Um, she said, "Would you be willing to write a book about your experience?" Yeah. And he's like, "You know, I'll be honest. It sounds like you're asking me to delve into the worst part of my life for a couple bucks." And Marsha's like, "I mean, I'm not not asking you to do that." Yeah. And he says, "You know, it's funny. Even now, I feel like I can see her. Like she's always there." And he looks up and we see Annie pushing a dessert cart towards them, holding a gigantic butcher knife. But when Paul blinks, it's just the regular or the regular waitress. And she says, I'm so sorry. Are you Paul Sheldon? Because I just wanted to say I'm your number one fan.
2: Uh, and that's the end. Uh, that's so good. That's so scary. I love it. I'm glad that he survives. I know. I'm glad that the yeah. agent gets a big hit book.
1: I do feel bad for Buster, because Buster really was doing the legwork. He was like a responsible. You know diligent local authority and this is what happens you know what I mean this is what you get
2: I'm honestly so glad that we did this and you described the whole movie to me in depth because it sounds like a really good movie and it sounds like if I had to watch it I would be so uncomfortable the entire time
1: yeah I think you'd be watching it through your fingers for sure um I was listening I was like I wanted to take (laughs) my headphones off you were listening to your fingers yeah One thing we like to do after a movie is um, fatal mistakes. What are some fatal mistakes you think any of the characters might have done in the um, movie? Fatal mistakes.
2: Okay, main fatal mistake is Paul driving a vintage convertible through snowy Colorado
1: after drinking. It sounds like. Yeah. huge mistake. Right, because um, he, he's probably not having just one glass of the champagne. You know what I mean? It's like you're you having have a whole bottle on ice. Exactly.
2: What you're just having a bottle. You have a bottle just for you. Uh, the next mistake is poor Buster going
1: alone. Yeah, exactly. And then
2: Annie. I mean, if we're talking fatal mistakes, Annie's mistake is getting lulled into a false sense of security with Paul. Absolutely, leaving being- the lighter, leaving the lighter mm-hmm. fluid within arm's reach.
1: You know, and, and as women, you you are sort of fed this fairy tale. You know, you think, oh, if I just kidnap a man and and um, destroys ability to leave, and then he writes a book at my um, at gunpoint, you know, it's going to work out. So that's her, her that's sort of. That's what I'm body hoping to with with my fiance. It worked for me. Sorry, yeah, Annie. you know what? That's true. It does work occasionally, and that's it gives people hope. Um, yeah, I definitely think Buster. Even just like look behind you. You know, just like be yeah. a little more suspicious of Annie Wilkes because um, uh, you don't. A yeah, women can fire a gun too. Um, but I feel True. like that's yeah. That's to me is the he's so close to have getting everybody getting out of there alive. And so I don't yeah. know, Buster, RIP, a P., real one. Um, and R. then R. finally, to a real one. Where would you put misery on the spooky scale? A spooky scale. Oh, ten. This is exact. Right. This
2: is the if you if you had to design a horror movie in a lab Ooh, just okay. to scare me. Dana Schwartz, a writer. Wonderful. Uh, this is exactly
1: it. Uh, I am uh so scared by everything about this movie. I'm so glad. Um I'm gonna give this I'm gonna give this a seven because I really do yeah. seven or eight. I'm gonna go you know I'm gonna go eight. I'm gonna go eight. I agree it's incredibly uh scary. And there's a lot of, like, moments of dread of, like, watching him fumble to get back in his wheelchair to, like, those, like, where you know that she's walking up the driveway that I think are really well done. This is also directed by Rob Reiner, I should point out. I forgot to mention that earlier. Great director. Um, very well, like, all of the, even where it's not, like, specifically something horrifying happened, the dread of waiting for him to get back in his room so she doesn't freak out is terrifying.
2: Also, I guess what's really scary for me is that it feels plausible where it's like if it was heightened or stylized or like a monster, like a ghost, like I'm not scared of like ghosts because then you turn off the movie and you're like, oh, that was fun. That would never happen in the real world where like this is very much in the real world of horrible things that can happen to you. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Well, Dean, thank you so much for doing the the pod. Um, this is really wonderful. I'm glad that we did a movie that you generally found horrifying. That makes me very oh happy. Oh, my God. Thank
2: you so much for having me. Uh, I was literally like, I feel like my hands were over my <laughs> eyes and face for most of this episode. Uh, what a pleasure. And congratulations on also uh, keeping a man locked in your room until he Again. agreed to marry you.
1: I mean, I'm not saying I started the pandemic just so we'd be forced to be in a room for two years. But it helps. I'm not saying I did that. Yeah. I'm just saying if someone were to do that, would it, be, it might be effective. Yeah. Hypothetically. Is there anything you'd like to plug or talk about or anything you'd like people to go check out? Where can people find you?
2: Uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram or Twitter or TikTok, uh, Dana Schwartz with three Zs. I have a podcast called Noble Blood that's like a scripted history podcast. And I wrote a book. People will now think they're like, oh, you're such a wuss because, like, my podcast and also book have a lot of uh, horror in it and, like, gore because uh, it's about – my book, Anatomy, A Love Story, is about a surgeon. But this one's so scary because it's happening to the writer. It's it's a writer's
1: <laughs> tale. It's yeah. a
2: writer. But, yeah, um, Anatomy, A Love Story, if you want a young adult novel about uh, a, a, teen, a surgeon in, in 1800s Edinburgh.
1: Love it. All right. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks again. And uh, to those listening at home, please, until next week, keep it spooky. Keep it spooky. Ruined is a Radio Point production with executive producers Alex Bach, Sabrina Fonfetter, and Houston Snyder. Recorded and edited by Kat Iosa.
0: Justin, and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find?